Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Geopolitical Pickle. We have a great guest on today who is Isaac Mashaba of the ANC party in South Africa. He's an advisor to the ANC, he's been a long-time party member and he's disenfranchised and written about the problems within the party. And we had this interview in July 2022. Since then, some of the problems that we actually talk about in the interview here have worsened. I will just give a bit of context now before we start the interview about the current situation and we'll really go into some of the depth of the items that we talk about in the interview and to give some more background to the situation. So first of all, we talk about the ANC as a party. Now, ANC is the party of Nelson Mandela, the African National Congress, and they've been in power in South Africa since their independence in 1994. During that time, we've seen some of the state utilities dilapidate and fall into general malaise and have gone backwards in a lot of ways. We talk a lot about ESCOM, which is South Africa's national electric company. And ESCOM easily provided enough electricity for the country. However, it was predicted way back in the late 1990s that without further development of power generation, they were going to run out or they were going to start generating below capacity for the required amount for the grid. Lo and behold, if we look at where we're at now, we see that this aging fleet of coal power plants, which are all 40 to 50 years old, right at the end of their service life, are basically breaking down all at the same time. And they've never been replaced with newer infrastructure because of this culture of corruption, of actually taking state funds and allocating them. And the situation is exceptionally bad right at the moment. 2022 was the worst year for power outages in South Africa on record. And 2023 so far has started even worse. If we look through January, there was over 50% of the coal-fired power stations offline for repairs or maintenance concurrently at periods through the month, which means that the generation capacity, which is already below the total required by the country, is made even worse. The interesting thing also is that ESCOM was not only historically supplied South Africa with power, but it's also been able to help their neighbors by lending excess power. And they had deals with Zimbabwe, with Namibia, with Mozambique, with the Swatini, with Lesotho, all to provide additional electricity to help those countries meet their needs, which was government to government deals. Problems with the ESCOM go back a long way. It's really interesting and topical now because the now ex-CEO of ESCOM, Andrew De Reuter, basically came out and accused the ANC of having factions that operated like a mafia within the organization and were able to loot funds from the state coffers. One particularly egregious example of this, I think, was an example that he gave of providing safety equipment that was worth around $50 for around $18,000 to the company. So you can see how then this company is paying a friend's business and as part of that, they get some money flowing back to them. This is kind of endemic and shows some of the issues that have been identified within ESCOM. He also accused some of the top members of the ANC of corruption, including really picking a fight with the energy minister, Gwede Mantashe, who himself is a former coal miner and a self-proclaimed coal fundamentalist where he proclaims that coal is the future for South Africa, and he's actually intervened 
to hamper the development of a renewable energy system within ESCOM and actually tried to stop private businesses from building their own renewable energy sources by preventing them being able to sell that electricity back to the grid through legislation, making it very unattractive to pursue these methods. And we've seen this fight play out between Mantashe and De Reuter on the public stage, which actually caused the resignation of De Reuter back in December. Following that, he actually was fired in February after giving an explosive interview to a private news organisation basically accusing several high ministers of the corruption that we're talking about. Mantashe, for his part, has actually accused De Reuter of treason for failing to stop the power cuts that were crippling the South African economy. Another prominent minister for the ANC is Pravin Gordon, the Minister for State Enterprises and who's actually De Reuter's boss. He basically accused De Reuter of reactionary political thinking and irresponsible and basis claims of alleged political meddling and corruption. So as you can see, there's this whole mess going on where the CEO of the national energy company is saying that he's trying to bring about reforms and on the other side we've got the ministers who are above him telling him that he's responsible for the failing state of the system and that there's actually no real corruption to talk about. And this all spells some sort of problems for Cyril Ramaphosa in the lead up to next year's 2024 election where there's actually a chance for the first time that ANC might not hold the ultimate balance of power. In saying all that I think that gives some sort of background into the current situation in South Africa with the power cuts, with what's happening in ESCOM, with the allegations of corruption, which have been ongoing for years and years, and give some background context to what we talk about with Isaac and how the ANC has basically been in this situation where it's gradually declined over the years in credibility. And now we're at a place where the institutions are crumbling and there's no place left to hide. Now over to the interview. All right. Good afternoon and welcome to the Geopolitical Pickle. Today it's our great pleasure to have a fantastic guest on the show, Isaac Mashaba. He's a political advisor for ANC, author, writer, and he's going to give us some insights into African politics, specifically on South Africa and then more broadly how it is across the continent. So welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you very much for coming. It's a great honor for me. May we, may we start the conversation a little bit on how is South Africa doing right now? What are the main challenges that uh, South Africa as a country has? South Africa has got a complicated political situation right now. It's got a complicated uh, street situation right now. What do you think are the main conflicts that are sparking this situation in the country? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, Currently, South Africa is going through a huge revolution, uh, meaning that a change from what we call um, the ruling party politics. Um, is that uh, the great, the biggest problems that we have here in South Africa is corruption. Um, corruption that has manifested itself into the state. Corruption that is destroying what we call the ruling party. And that is causing what we call factionalist in the and factionalism in the ruling party, and that has uh, created that the state to become inefficient, and uh, it has manifested itself that that because each and every president that comes, uh, there is also corruption. These corrupt people and corrupt individuals in the political parties, they surround the presidents and they surround the president with, uh, they surround it's a generation uh, of a, a group. 
of uh, corrupt uh, uh, individuals. These individuals, from one president to another president, they still find themselves within the ANC. So they 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 manipulate the systems of uh, a political party in order to be able to harness into what we call the state and deployment and cater deployment that they do. They send uh, uh, into the state to go and harness and steal and um, uh, create a lot of problems in the state. So the reality is that the reason why we have even the electricity problem and the infrastructure problem, dilapidation, it's too much stealing of government pairs. People have been stealing a lot. Uh, the law is not holding anymore. The security system is not working. Um, the uh, prosecution is not upholding. Mm-hmm. And there's a report that was written by a judge called Raymond Zondo, the commission set up by the president. And the report is out that needs to be implemented in order for the country to move forward. So if that report is not implemented, we're not going to see the changes uh, in government. We're not going to the same people that are still part of government. They are in the report, some of them, majority of them. And the reality is that the factionalism that is caused in the ANC, that is growing, it affects government because the cadre deployment issue that we're talking about, they deploy those cadres into the movement and they become part of the faction. Mm-hmm. There's a CR faction, there's a RET faction, and there's other smaller factions mm-hmm. within that they manifest themselves to call. Mm-hmm. And the issue of a decay of an older generation, the older generation has been in power for all, for long. They're clinging to power. And uh, they're not allowing the young generation to emerge mm-hmm. uh, into the society. And the loss of municipalities, elections, is because of the same problems of corruption that we are facing. The non-implementation of uh, what we call policies, uh, projects are not implemented, it's too much stealing, arrogance of people, and people don't even respect the law anymore, you know? And the governance is not holding um, into the states. So that, that report, the Zondo report, which is what the Commission of Inquiry into Allegations of State Capture, which has recently come out, do you see that as a first step towards rebuilding towards the future if those policies can be, uh, if those recommendations can actually be acted upon? I think so. I think it's a first step. The reality is that you cannot move into a second phase if you don't deal with the first phase. The first phase is to identify the problem and the weaknesses, which we know these problems and the weaknesses have been identified. By the way, the Zondo report was set up by former President Zuma before he left, and Sarah Ramaphosa continued with it. So the issue is that if the Zondo report is implemented fairly square, then it's able to teach us and educate us as a party and as South Africans where we've gone wrong and how to self-correct. Because if we don't self-correct, people are not going to uh, vote for the, the ruling party. People are not going to be happy to give the ruling party the patent. And secondly, is that we are not going to know where we've gone wrong. We've got to see where we've gone wrong. So the Zondo report must be implemented. I think it's the first base to clean and to get uh, South Africa to right trajectory. For our viewers to, to understand it more or less, the ANC was the party that, uh, that arose after apartheid that has been ruling in South Africa for the last uh, 27 years. Um, how much is uh, the party and how much is the government? What is, that, is there that difference between what the state is and what the party is right now? Is it being eroded lately? Look, um, the, the, the ruling party goes on election, mm-hmm. then they win the election, 
and then they take over government. And then after they take over government, they have a policy that they use. That, that's why we are talking about it, that the cadre deployment issue. So they then send cadres to government. They mm -hmm. agree and identify people who go and become ministers, people who go and become generals, people who go and become commissioners, people who go and become uh, the leaders of a state, mm -hmm. which they come and represent uh, the political party. And then they report back to the political party, including the president himself. He is a deployment of what we call the party. The mm -hmm. party deploys you to become the head of the state. So the state has been eroded in a sense that because of factionalism in the ANC, that the state that was run by Mandela, Nelson Mandela, Tabombeki, Jacob Zuma, um, Cyril Ramaphosa, Mutante didn't run much. But there's since been factions because there's people that you live in the system that represent a certain individual that work with a certain individual and, and aspire and, 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 and be loyal to a, a president, mm. a sitting yeah. president. So why, when, when, when you have a state that is no longer functioning and the political parties interfering with the state, one, two, they also deploying wrong people into the state mm. uh, to go and create uh, problems and a non-functioning non state, you know? Mm -hmm. And for instance, you look at ESCOM. ESCOM was also deployment for over the years. Look, I, I would differ with other people and say we've, we've had great uh, leaders that have been sent to ESCOM by ESCOM the state. the state telecoms. Yeah, it's uh, electricity. Electricity, yes. sorry. Yeah, electricity. the one that uh, you yeah. can see there's a low shed now and then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would differ. I will say to you um, uh, that that institution could work well. In two years, if you are given a person that understands, that can work and that can produce good results. Because you can't be buying fuel and diesel for 400 million on a daily basis. It means somebody else is creating a deal. Somebody else is creating a, a smoke screen to say there's a low shed so that they can burn more money of the state mm -hmm. and steal more pairs. You know? The reality part of that is that you can also give what we call the IPPs. If you go, you give solar uh, panels, you give companies, invite companies. There's companies as we speak now. They've been running to South Africa from coming from overseas. They want to give a solution of uh, electricity. But the state, because of the way this factionalism is built, they don't allow these people to come in. They mm. want to keep on stealing more and more. You know, they steal more and more. People pay electricity. Every day people pay their electricity to the state. So the state is collecting more money uh, so that they can be able to upgrade the infrastructure. So the erosion of the state is because of the ANC. The erosion of the state is because of a cater deployment. The erosion of the state is because of people who are heading those institutions and because of corruption that is indebted there. Mm -hmm. They also steal it. The state pays. And how do you think that uh, with the elections coming in 2024, with the latest uh, results of the local elections where the ANC has lost much power in, uh, in the municipalities, how do you think is that going to develop before the elections? Not just in the in the result that the 2024 elections may have, but in in the street with these uh, other parties that have uh, now come into power in municipalities. Uh, how do you think the interaction between the ruling party and the new uh, the new parties or, or other parties that are taking power in cities? How do you think develop. it will develop and it will reflect in the in the street and and for the population in South Africa before the elections? Uh, before the elections happen. Mm -hmm. um, uh, look, I think uh, currently what we have uh, is that South Africans, um, they are waiting and they are crying and they want to have a political party that will lead them. 
Uh, they want a political party that will give them a direction and lead the state and give them resources and uh, produce the best results for the country. Um, the, I don't think it's going to be easy for ANC uh, because currently the ANC, uh, it has made itself, manifested itself through the state. Mm-hmm. It has uh, it's called itself the state. The, the results of uh, loss of power you could feel, we could feel them in local government. And when we lost local government to other political parties like Action SA, DA, PA, and uh, EFF coalition, was that uh, the ANC become redundant. Mm-hmm. And then, and when they become redundant, cadres that are deployed in local government who are, who are, who are part of the, the resource and the economy can no longer have money. Mm-hmm. And cadres that were stealing and giving tenders can no longer give tenders to mm-hmm. the people. So the economy dies. Mm-hmm. There's a huge impact. There is a, it's a dependency of Mashaba ascending to become the mayor of Johannesburg. When mm-hmm. Mashaba ascends to become a mayor of Johannesburg, Mashaba uh, then puts his people as MMCs mm-hmm. to become MMCs. And then after his people, they become MMCs. Mashaba then gives tenders to his friends. And when Mashaba gives tenders to his friends, his friends give him money. And that money is used differently for other people. And other cadres also benefit. But since the, the fall of that and, and, and the loss of the income, uh, it has created a lot of uh, impact. Mm-hmm. Comrades lost their houses. Comrades lost their cars. Uh, business people lost their tenders that they used to have. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the entire crime syndicate uh, that has been blown out, mm-hmm. uh, it has affected the whole chain. So... I don't think it's going to be an easy thing for the ANC. It's going to be a very difficult thing for the ANC, as it is difficult now, as you can see now. It's very difficult for them uh, to survive uh, as a party. I'm a member of ANC. I grew up in the ANC. I lived in the ANC. I don't aspire. I don't subscribe to corruption. I don't subscribe to dictatorship that we have people who are running the state for many years. And I don't subscribe uh, to factionalism that is happening in the ANC, that I see on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And I, for myself, disagree with a lot of leaders. I disagree with how they do things, you know? I think when you are a leader, you must hold integrity. I'm not in the office. I'm not in politics holding an office because mm-hmm. of, I think that position, it's a very important position. It has, you have to have the highest integrity to be there. Mm-hmm. And if people tell you that you must resign, you must resign. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing. But the reality part of that is that uh, the ANC is taking it very hard uh, because, look, we are having a very new emerging revolution of politics in, the, in South Africa. And, and that is going to go and give the new birth to other, to other uh, uh, countries in SADAC. Yeah. Uh, I can see them coming. Yeah. I know Chamisa, looking at Chamisa then Zimbabwe. Yeah. I know a couple of people in other um, 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 African countries that I see that that, that is, is changing. Uh, the whole diaspora is changing uh, in terms of what is going to happen in South Africa. It will give an effect to mm-hmm. that. Yeah, because I, I was going to say, in your book, like Practical Politics, Power and Governance in Africa, you do talk about the need and the, the ability to rectify the, co- the continent's problems being down to the dedicated politicians. And it's interesting, you say, like, South Africa can be a beacon, maybe, for the region to to show how you can address some of these root cause issues and move towards, say, a better a better future for the people. So I would say, how do you see it playing out 
uh, if the next election in South Africa ends up with ANC in power, is it a big disappointment for change or it could be a new ANC as well? <laughs> I think it will be a new ANC. A new ANC? Yeah, I think it will be a new ANC if it happens, but I, I don't understand the scientific uh, uh, thinking and um, numbers of politics is that um, I'm thinking loudly that if you don't have local government, why do you think you'll have national government? Because the same people that vote is the same people that vote there. That's the first question. I'm sitting as an ANC member. I'm a leader of ANC. I'm going to go to the people, okay? go to Soweto, go down there, go to townships and lobby them as I do in yeah. my life. I've been lobbying. I go and say, I want you to vote for ANC. The same people that I saw them on local government say, no, no, I won't vote for you. You did nothing for me. I'm going to say now, no, 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 no. You saw we're doing something very nice. ESCOM is now giving you electricity. There's roads, there's jobs now. Vote for us. Who's going to vote? Did I give them those? No, I didn't. That is the difference what you're mentioning now. Mm. That's why I'm saying the reality. Mm. It's happening in South Africa. People don't want ANC. People are not going to vote for ANC. It's not going to happen that ANC wins election. Uh, unless it has a coalition, unless a certain political party agree and say, no, look, you have 25, we'll give you 30-something, which I doubt that uh, any political party <laughs> will do that. Maybe you know? yeah. So the issue is that we need self-correcting the ANC. ANC will not win the elections, but uh, the new trajectory that will come into South Africa in 2024 is going to give birth to what we call the African politics in the continent, particularly looking at countries like Congo Brazzaville. Congo Brazzaville, the president has been in power for 40 years. That is what we call dictatorship. You can't be in power even at your deathbed, you're still in power. You can't have people like that in politics. You can't have a state like that. So that's why you see the infrastructure of that country falling and dilapidating on a daily basis. And people are very poor. And there's no law. The law is himself. You know, There's no court, there's no law, there's no hospital. And he gets the best medicine he can fly. He takes the state money. He can sell an oil block and, stay, and go and stay somewhere in his family. And then go to a best medicine somewhere, get the best uh, hospital. But what about the people, the owners of the resource? They don't. And do you think that is a problem? And we can already start talking about Africa in, as, a, as a continent, as you uh, have, also, have also been writing about the continent in itself. Do you think that problem of... Uh, misgovernance in, in many aspects. It's a problem that it's rooted just in corruption or there can be other parallel uh, aspects to touch. It's for example also the education of the people to be able to identify better who are their leaders and how are they ruling them. How do you see that not just uh, in South Africa but, uh, but in the rest of the continent? Yeah, I think you're right. The, the education part is the most also crucial part which can run parallel. Mm -hmm. uh, to what we call eradication of the corruption and, mm -hmm. and understanding. The first part is to understand the state. Is uh, as a as a as a as a fellow countryman, you've got to understand what is your state standing for, and how is your country, and how do you help your country to grow, and what do you do? Mm -hmm. What is the benefit that the country can have as well and all that? So that education part is very important. For instance, the Africans. Uh, uh, Africans that live in South Africa, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Angola, Malawi, around the continent mm -hmm. of The people need to understand that there's a block called Sadak. And that Sadak block works with each other. What does it do? 
do we have we explored the Sadak uh, vision? Mm -hmm. Have we explored mm -hmm. uh, the ideology of working together and opening borders? Have we explored uh, 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 the ideas of economic growth, which we can do within those countries? If we do that, we can be able to trade with European countries. We can mm -hmm. be able to trade with uh, trillions and trillions with European countries with what they want. And, and we can still open borders and still control the population. But the issue is that, does the ANC have that? That They don't have. They don't transpire that. That's why when they're in government, they are blind. But the EFF has. EFF has seen. EFF has seen a point of going into, tapping into that. That's why they are involved in, 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 in Swaziland. That's why they're involved in the diaspora. EFF is actually growing. What people don't know and what they don't see is that Julius is not interested in becoming a president of South Africa. Julius is interested in becoming a president of Sadak. So, what you, don't, what you do not understand about mm -hmm. politics is that uh, young people have different agendas, and young people have bigger agendas, and young people can risk uh, to get the highest. So, what the EFF is, 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 is trying to do now, what they are trying to uh, put Julius there out there, because he's reaching a ceiling here in South Africa. So and bring Floyd Shibambo as a, as a president and take Julius to go and form, uh, which is already starting as a formation of uh, EFF. Uh, and people are not looking into that movement. EFF is growing in, in, in Zimbabwe. EFF is growing in Malawi. EFF is growing in Zambia. EFF is there in Uganda. EFF is there in Switzerland, in Lesotho. So that, it's, it's, it's something that uh, the president of South Africa was supposed to take. When he took over the chair of uh, AU, he was supposed to benchmark South Africa with the uh, African continent. He was supposed to be there and deal with issues that relates to Africa. Not only the SADAC part, but the AU mm. part. There's Libyan issue. Libya issue is the most hot issue that needs to be dealt with. Before Libya can be stable, you can never see a better economy in the, in the continent as well. Mm. You know, there's a number of factors that we're talking about. The DRC issue, uh, Congo, the Congo Brazzaville, uh, Congo Kinshasa, and Mali, all these problems that are, 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 are spiraling out. Uh, they needed to be centralized. They needed to have a leader. And South Africa, before, during the Tabo, the Tabumbegi time, Tabumbegi was a leader for Africa. He had what we call African Renaissance. He had a good idea. He had an idea how to transform and how to explore Africa how to work with each other as an African continent and how to trade and how to get involved in the diaspora, which was the most important thing. I think the ANC should have created a platform for him. ANC should have created a platform for, mm. for Tabumbegi to run that after they removed him as a president to run the diaspora mm. and give him the diaspora. Would have, would have stabilized the continent, would have stabilized Mali, would have stabilized an, a number of... Uh, African countries that are leading and looking into us as South Africa and say South Africa is a bigger brother. But now we have a problem. There's a big vacuum. South African foreign affairs is not doing well. We're not doing well with the current uh, minister. Maite was doing well when she was there. She was trying to do well compared to this one that we have now. It's not doing well. The African mm. continents are not dealing, they're not working very well with us. Uh, African countries are not working very well with uh, South Africa anymore. They're not happy. Mm -hmm. There's a number of factors that they're dealing with, you know. So the reality part is that the state has been eroded. And uh, it cannot, you cannot change that except if you change the individuals in the state and change the individuals in the party. That party must clean. Mm -hmm. It has to clean from all top six going down. 
all those people are polluted. Mm-hmm. They have got bad skeletons, like what Batabile Zamini was saying. She said everybody's got a skeleton. So you can't have people who have skeleton, and then you put them into position to make sounding judgment and decisions, and you think they'll make good decisions. They won't. They are conflicted. So you can't make a decision. You'll make a, a decision that conflicts. So do you see the African Union having a bigger role in the future? Or like first, it has to be from the state level or it can be a process of both? Because they say like there's a lot of states with maybe skeletons in the closet, as you described. Or can that be fixed by at a higher level by the African Union taking more proactive steps to work with the individual states? Yeah, it can be fixed from my level. I... I think it's a, it will be an influence of a lobby. Like as I say, South Africa has always played a bigger role and a better role in the African Union uh, since the time of Madiba. Uh, everybody looked up to South Africa to say it's the best. And when Madiba left, they gave it to Tabo. And Tabo did a good job, right? When Zuma came in, they started to dilapidate uh, that, uh, that, 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 uh, that yeah. African Union group. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then when Ramaphosa came west, he did nothing. Ramaphosa did nothing according to what I see. So the reality part is that uh, African countries, they're still looking up to us, even till today. I still have African countries, even presidents from other African countries calling me, asking us to help, asking me and say, can you help, Mashab? Can you guys help? You know, can you, why is the president not helping us? Why is, uh, you know? So the only problem that you find now, they will have to look up to Europe, you know? And and, 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 and and if we had the, the, the South African government holding, we had a strong state, and it's easy to coordinate them, it's easy to go as a block to yeah. Europe and say, this is a block, this is how we can work together. Yeah. Yeah, I've, got, I've got tobacco, you've got sheep, he's got cattle, he's got... So let's trade. Mm-hmm. Let's trade within each other. Let's create employment. You want me to come and invest on insurance? I can come and invest in insurance in your country. Come and invest in your oil that you have in my country. Give me your oil. I mean, the, the, the African countries are very rich with resources. So you can trade. You can literally trade with them and we can literally create a, a block that is good and, mm-hmm. and, and, and move away from creating a block that only looks at bricks, which is another thing. We can create our own block as African, uh, as African country. Do you think it'd be uh, better to have a center, as uh, you were mentioning, South Africa being that uh, that stronghold in a way and then expanding that idea to the rest of Africa? Or uh, do you think that it is needed that two, three, four of the biggest countries, of the ones that have like uh, the biggest conditions, actually join together in a, and, and lobby for that to the rest of the continent? How do you think one beacon would be ideal or to have different perspectives? Because obviously there's different realities within Africa and uh, maybe countries that are in West Africa and countries that are over the Sahara, they might not agree with what can be promoted from, from uh, South Africa. So how would you perceive it? And if it's having different spots, how would you think that could be promoted? Yeah, I think South Africa can represent Southern Africa. And I think uh, the other part that is strong in uh, uh, is Congo, Kinshasa. And uh, I'm... I'm likely to look at what we call, um, I don't know, but I, I, I realize there are problems there in Egypt. Um, I look at the other part where you find Nigeria. So those countries can do well um, within the blocks. Uh, they can each lobby each. 
uh, in the next four years. By the next four years, we'll have a stable AU and very strong AU and with a vision that we have vision 2030 uh, AU. Uh, they're more likely to produce a stronger and a stable, peaceful continent uh, if we have that. Because we can also start to create our own army and contribute to the army and say, we, let's have our own uh, army that we have. We mustn't have armies that are sponsored somewhere. Because the, the problem though for sponsoring army is that an individual that has so much money can sponsor an army for a certain agenda. So we really have to look into those things. I think they, they, they form a very important aspect of, uh, uh, of the economy that uh, the, the, uh, the AU can be made with blocks, mm. not with individual. Mm. But South Africa can play a pivotal role mm. in terms of that. And I'm saying that, uh, the reason why I'm saying that, I, 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 I differ with the ideology that how uh, the, the, the BRICS uh, was formed, uh, which is a very good, um, what we call developmental grant stage, it's okay. But um, I think before you have formed the BRICS, why didn't you go and lobby Nigeria? Why didn't you go and lobby uh, Congo, lobby... Uh, 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 what Egypt, you call Egypt, mm -hmm. and then you have a block on your own to say, okay, how do we relate to BRICS, and how do we relate to IMF, how do we relate to, you know? Okay. On the African continent. Yes. On the continent specifically, because... Yeah. Yeah. BRICS is very spread apart across the world, so exactly. it doesn't necessarily have yes. Africa's interests. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what are the issues that we're trading with? Because you look at the, the trading partner, our trading partner in South Africa with the, is the West. 193 trillion, it's a lot of money that mm. we're doing business with in South Africa. It means the West is giving us a lot of money and they're buying from us directly, from us, to mm -hmm. keep our economy. And you look at the BRICS, there's not much. It's a developmental grant. It's about 76 billion, which is nothing. You know. So the reality part is that how do you look at a healthy state and how do you look at a developmental of the state and how do you look at uh, building a vision uh, as a leader of a country. Those are the things that you look at. How you, you look at and you take a decision uh, that is informed. You take a decision that will benefit the country, that will benefit the people, that will benefit, even after you leave. But those becomes a legacy. I think that's, a, that's However, an idea. In that sense, we, we, you were mentioning the, the having a... Let's not say a military, because that, well, a central security that could be controlled from the African Union. With the African Union reaction to, for example, uh, the Tigray situation in Ethiopia, or the constant uh, situation in Mali, where the African Union has shown little or no capacity to actually solve the problem, or they would be asking for, in the case of uh, in the case of Ethiopia, they would be asking for also the United States uh, in a in a mix between somehow the United States uh, delegation there with the African Union delegation there. Is it uh, is it feasible to have a common uh, army or a common or a, or a common doctrine, uh, doctrine. military doctrine or capacity for the African Union to actually deploy troops and try to end? conflicts and try to stabilize a country. Is that feasible in the near future? I think it's feasible depending on the generation. Like as I said, generational politics are very important. We see politics different from our predecessors, our generation, our elders. Us, 
we see them differently. We belong to a global community, we belong to the society, we belong to the continent, we belong to the world. I think it's very important that when you take a decision of building an army, you know why you are building the army for and what contribution are you contributing because for you to have an army as an AU, you need to fund it, you need to put money. Mm-hmm. Where does the money come from? Who's contributing your members of state? How much are they contributing each? And how do you go and help? And if the state that you are helping does not have money, what can you lay on the resource? What do you do to take the resource of that country to transform into cash? You know. So these are the things that we're talking about. But right now, you have unwilling society of corrupt people in the, in the continent, in Africa, leaders who are there for many years who don't care, but they'll go to their friends in the East or in the West to go and lobby them to come and help them to end the crisis. But their friends come with an advantage of, of uh, pushing others out mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and yeah. so that they can stay in power forever. But if you have your own uh, army that is uh, uh, governed by AU, that is run by AU, that you contribute literally into it, mm-hmm. uh, all of you, and contribute and say, no, that we have our army. The army will come and help and in the benefit of a country. Mm-hmm. So hence I'm talking about the economic block and the economic power. It should not work only for individuals. South Sudan has got, got oil. Two oil blocks belong to South Africa. They were given to South Africa. South Africa was given two oil blocks by South Sudan. Till today, they have not explored those oil blocks. But they've spent money to open up offices there. What are they doing? And why are we having a crisis of oil in the country now of the petrol? It's because, we, I mean, it's because of the, we want to. It's because somebody else is making money. Because cartels are making money. And it's because it's a corrupt idea for somebody... Uh, uh, to increase, it's good for them to increase petrol so that they can get more money because the state is falling and then the the party is ending. So the more the party is going to an end, so you must make sure you eat so much as you can so that when the party is finished, no one will cry. You understand? So the reality part is that the corruption that is embedded in the in the in the in the in the government in the ANC as well, mm. it's killed the country. It's killing the, the, the continent. South Sudan will be having two oil blocks explored by South Africa. South Africa would have opened a company, a state oil company, and say, let's set up a state oil company. We put it in Geneva, we put it where, and then that state oil company trades. Then with that petrol, uh, with that exploration of the oil, then that's brought into South Africa. Then the petrol becomes cheaper because we own. And then we sell it to the, to the majors as well. And then, but at the same time, what do you do? You give trillions and trillions of dollars to South Sudan to develop. Also, yeah. You know, the, 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 the direct investment of a partnership mm-hmm, of mm-hmm, exploring. That, like I'm saying to you, that the reality part of that, when Tabumbeg was a president, he did a lot of work in African devices. And these are some of the works that he did. But when he left, the people started stealing for themselves. Uh, Isaac Mashaba thinks it's better to take the oil block and give it to my friends in Caltex. Like Why am now? I giving it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll give it to Caltex. Then state and say the state cannot explore this. Leave it no longer. Give it to Caltex. Caltex get it and then I'm a trillionaire. You know. So, but what happens to the country? You know. That's why I'm saying that we've got to bring these individuals to a book. We've got to all these individuals, regardless of what, they must be brought to a book. Well, thank you, Dr. Rasal, very much. Your insights have been really interesting. Now, uh, in this podcast, we also uh, it's also focused in showing uh, 
students, people that are interested in politics, in international politics, different career paths, different ways of developing their, their, their career and their life. And we would like to ask you, uh, how has been your career path? Uh, why did you choose to, to become involved in politics? And most importantly, in my opinion, in this sense, how do you keep on going? Because it's got to be pretty sure frustrating sometimes. Why do you keep on going? What is it that motivates you? What is it that brought you here? And how has been your career development? Um, thank you. Um, it has been a very difficult journey, I must say. I've been in love with politics since I was young. Like I said, that I was in exile when I was a very young age. And uh, for me to be in politics, it's not what I wanted to be. Um, firstly, I'm a humanitarian. I work with people. I love working with people. One of the other things that I would love to do, even maybe after politics in my life, um, is to run my NGO, um, to work uh, with communities in Africa, in the whole continent, in fact, in the whole world, but particularly in Africa, because um, I've traveled a lot in African countries, especially in Sadak, like Mozambique, um, Zimbabwe is still better, and uh, I've been to other countries like South Dumen Principe, I've been to other countries like Congo, Kinshasa, Brazzaville, as well and all that. I found a lot of problems there in terms of how the young population and uh, children are, um, are faring. They're doing very bad there, uh, the state is not looking after them, uh, the politics affects them so much, um, there's no schools. For instance, I've been to Mozambique, um, um, in Shifungabeira, up North Mozambique. Um, uh, I've been to an area where I visited and I stayed for two weeks there. That area, the kids learn under the tree. There's no classrooms. So when I looked at that, I felt that was, uh, it can't be a good thing that in this today's life, kids still learn under the tree. And... Uh, I vowed that one day, if I do well, um, uh, my foundation, I set up a foundation a year ago. I vowed that I want to go and make sure that I build them schools. Um, I'm going to try and raise money to go build schools for children who are needy. Um, and also make sure that I give them books, libraries, you know, and computers so that they can learn. It's one of the things that I would love to do. Um, uh, politics is my first thing, but if I could, <laughs> I, I tomorrow I'd wake up, I'd leave everything, and I'll concentrate in that. It's it's a passion for me. Um, humanitarian is what I do, even in the country here in South Africa. I do a lot of humanitarian. Um, I donate. We go out throughout. We look at people. We we interact with communities. Um, that's why we know the reality of politics as a politician. And that's why I never took an office in the ANC. I refused to take the office in the ANC. I didn't want to contest in the ANC because I felt that the ANC is no longer the ANC I know. I cannot attach myself to that ANC. I can be a member and I'll be vocal. I'll continuously talk about the wrongdoings. But I can never attach myself and see myself and even forgive myself to be in an office with people who are corrupt and work with people who are corrupt. I'm not saying corruption... Uh, it doesn't happen. It does happen, but needs to be controlled. But the way it is happening there, it's bad. It's extremely bad that it affects even me as an individual, looking at it, seeing other people doing it. It does affect me. 
as a as a as a as a member of the party. It affects me so much uh, that if I can't be able to make myself coffee in my house, if I can't be able to bath in the morning when I wake up, if I can't be able to send my kids to school thinking that they are safe, I mean, why am I in politics? Why are we in politics and why are we are we are we are we uh, are we activists? So we. It's not me only. There's a lot of a lot of us. Uh, I would love one day maybe to get a group of very very known people into a room so that you can see them. They're most also disgruntled and fighting so much that this must not happen yeah. to our country. I'm very patriotic to South Africa. I'm very patriotic to my country. Uh, I didn't fight the apartheid to be an apartheid government as well. Yeah. I fought the apartheid that apartheid never exists. But I can't be an apartheid government again to my people. And it's unfair that. And this time, we must see a multi-democratic society. We must see a society where it doesn't look at color. We must see a society that belongs to the country. This country belongs to all of us. Belongs to us South Africans, Khoisan, Black South Africans, Zulus, Sutus, Kosas, all of us, white people, Africa, all of us, our country. Yeah. We were born, I was born here. No one can tell me anything about my, it's my country, I'm born here. The rest of the African people were born here, some of them. Right? So the rest of Indian people were born here. So why are we not having a multi-democratic society? Well, thank you very much. And this has been Geopolitical Pickle, and we look forward to catching you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you thank for you. having me on the show. The Geopolitical Pickle is created by Ronan Wordsworth and Juan Francisco Muñoz. Geopolitical Studies postgrads from Charles University in Prague, Czech Republic. Follow us on Instagram at the Geopolitical Pico or Twitter at the Geopico for more content and follow us on every podcast platform.